Yes, amen. <laughs> Exodus chapter 15 tonight, as we continue our study of the book of Exodus, and as I said at the beginning of our worship tonight, what an appropriate way to start the year. We're going to be looking at the Song of Moses by way of just sort of setting things out there at the very beginning, we're only going to look at the first 21 verses tonight of Exodus 15. We're actually going to save the last part of chapter 15 and combine it with the study of chapter 16 next week. It goes more with chapter 16 than with the first 21 verses of chapter 15. But as I said, as... God's people came through the Red Sea on dry ground and saw God destroy the Egyptian army. They paused on the other side and they lifted up a song of praise to the Lord. Redemption should always move us to praise. Salvation, deliverance, rescue should always move us to praise. The psalmist writes in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We should always be praising our God for his redemptive acts. And we see that here in Exodus chapter 15. It is a response to what God has done. More than that, it's a response to who God is and who God will always be, which is why the message of this worship song is just as relevant for us today as it was thousands of years ago for the Israelites. Amen. And it will be just as relevant throughout eternity, which is one of the reasons why you and I, along with all the saints of God of all time, will be singing this song as we will be singing many songs throughout eternity. Again, I want to remind all of us, our faith is a singing faith. Singing is found throughout the Bible. God teaches us that it's one of the primary ways we worship him and will do so throughout eternity is through singing. Notice in verse 1, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord. I, I will sing for him. Notice verse 2, I will praise him. Notice the end of verse 2, I will exalt him. Notice the word will there. There's a determination, there's an intentionality there's a purposefulness. Praise doesn't come automatically. Our spiritual enemy will do everything he can to discourage praise and worship of our God. There will always be distractions in our way to our worship. But we must make worship a priority to the point where like the Israelites at this time, we say, I will. I will. I will pause and I will praise my God for who he is and for what he has done. Back up in verse 1, notice the word song. This speaks of notes of worship. 
you know, songs have notes, music. And then they said, that's words of worship. So notice the combination of musical notes and words. That's what a song includes, both the notes and the words. And both are equally important. Moses says, I will sing for him, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has risen up, and he has delivered his people. He has destroyed our enemy, the horse and rider. He has thrown into the sea. This passage starts with singing, and it ends with singing. I want you to go over to verse 20, where Miriam, Moses' sister, by the way, the young girl that pushed his little basket out into the Nile River, that young girl now has become a prophetess in Israel. One who has been given authority by God as a gal to speak for God. One of only four women in the Old Testament that are called prophetesses. And she took a hand drum in her hand and all the women went out after her with hand drums and with dances. And Miriam sang in response to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. I want you to notice something of what Miriam said as she led worship. Worship is a response to God, but notice here that worship is also a response to one another. Did you catch that? Notice it says Miriam sang in response to them. There was sort of a antiphonal thing going on here. That the women sang in response to the men singing. And the reason I point that out is that it's one of the reasons, and it goes along with the message from Sunday of why God wants his people to come together and be physically present with one another. Because as we hear others worshiping the Lord, it can stir a response within us. And we sort of then can begin to not only, in a sense, respond to God and be responding to God and how God is moving and working in our hearts and minds, but we can also be sort of playing off one another and responding to one another as God moves in that place. And Miriam and the women are an example of that. Not only responding to God, but responding to the others who were worshiping the Lord as well. I find that here at the Oasis. Whether it's Nicole or one of you or, or some of you, or even just coming in on a Wednesday night and, or, or a Sunday and just hearing you just lift up your voices to the Lord is so inspiring. It just does something. And how can I then, you know, hold back and be silent whenever I hear 
so many of God's people singing out and praising him. That's what you find here in this worship setting, which again is why God wants us to do this in community and to do this together as we assemble together. Look back then at verse 2. We begin to see in this song, the words of this song, reasons to praise the Lord. Reasons, again, that are just as relevant for us today as they were for the Israelites thousands of years ago. First of all, verse 2, the Lord is my strength, my might, my power. Have we lived today in the strength of God? Because we don't have to live by or in our own strength. As God's people, we can always be living in and through the strength of God. And we all know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He needs to be our strength. He needs to be our power. He needs to be our might. Notice He's not only our strength, he's our song. That because of who he is and what he has done, there should always be songs, if you will, stirring within us. Songs of praise. And then, he has become my salvation. That word salvation in the Hebrew can also mean victory. And you certainly see that here in Exodus 15. They've, they've just been given a victory. God has achieved victory over the Egyptians, a nation that held them in bondage for 430 years. And God heard the cries of his people, and he came down and used Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and to deliver them. They have been set free. They have been redeemed. And the victory that they are now enjoying is God's victory. He brought them that victory. And you and I are the same. The victory that we live in through the blood and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ is a victory that we can live in and experience every day of our lives. We don't have to live in defeat as God's people. We can live in victory. Paul exhorted the Romans, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because he is our strength, he is our song, and he is our salvation. Notice how personal, this is my God. He's not just our God or your God, he's my God. He's my shepherd and I will praise him. The word praise can also mean celebrate. All of us should wake up every day wanting to celebrate our God, to put him in the best possible light that we can, to lift him up, to exalt him, and that's exactly what is said in the very next phrase. We are reminded that we are only, as I've said from Genesis through Exodus, a link in the chain. There are many who've come before us and there will be many who come after us. And so notice, he is also my father's God. 
There were those who believed in Jehovah God before me, the songwriter is saying here, and I will exalt him. What does it mean to exalt God? We can't add anything to God. It means that we acknowledge his rightful place. He's already there. He already occupies the highest, greatest place in the universe. But when we exalt him, we're saying, yep, that's where you are, and that's where you belong, and that's where you will always be. You will always be on your throne. And no one will ever take that throne away from you. You will always rule and reign. And I'm acknowledging that, God. I'm appreciating that, God. I'm recognizing that, God. That's where you are. In a sense, we even just sung about that. The waymaker. We're, we're saying in that song, God, you're, you're the waymaker. You're the promise keeper. You're the one that nothing is too hard or too difficult for because you're up there. And there's no one who is, who's higher or greater than you. We don't put God there. He's already there. We just acknowledge and appreciate and recognize that that's where he is. And then we should be then living our lives out of the understanding and knowledge and confidence that that's where he is. We can exalt God in that way as well. And then I love this, verse 3. We sung about this tonight. The Lord is a warrior. He is willing to fight our battles as he did for the Israelites. And the Lord, Jehovah God, is his name. Keep that phrase, the Lord is a warrior, in mind and go back to chapter 14. Look at verse 25. The Bible says that God jammed the wheels of their chariots and the Egyptians said, let's flee from Israel for the Lord fights for them against Egypt. He is a warrior. And the same God who fought these battles for the Israelites is the same God who will fight our battles for us today. He's our warrior. He's a warrior God who is not just up there in the highest place of the universe saying, oh, those poor people down there, look at all that they're going through. Well, that's just too bad. No, he comes down and he gets involved. He gets right into the midst of it all and says, I'm here to fight that battle for you. Don't fight it on your own. You don't have to. How did David go out and face Goliath? Not on his own. He knew that the Lord God was with him. That's how he faced the giant. That's how God wants all of us to face our challenges and our giants, knowing that the Lord God is right there with us. There was a day, I know it's hard to believe that I was smaller than I am now, much smaller. And I had a cousin who played football and was a few years older than me, and he was a big guy, even in high school. And I remember one day, I think I've shared this story with you, these guys were sort of bullying me and, you know, pushing me around or whatever, and all of a sudden they stopped. And I was like, what's going on? And I didn't realize my cousin Kevin was behind me. And as soon as they saw him, they are like, we don't want any parts of him. 
I want us to keep that kind of picture in mind when it comes to our God. Our God never leaves us or forsakes us. Our God's always got us, and he's always there, and we don't have to go into any battle, any challenge that we will ever face in life and feel like we're there all alone. No, no, the God of the universe is right there with us. And the thing is, he's ready and willing to fight our battles for us. All we have to do is stand still and see the salvation of God. Believe. Believe. Notice in verse 4, the chariots of Pharaoh and his army he has thrown into the sea. His chosen officers, his very best, were drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They went down to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. These powerful acts of deliverance and just judgment were great and glorious. And obviously, God being an invisible God, the writer here is using human anatomy to describe God. Over in verse 16, he talks about the greatness of God's arm. Here he talks about his right hand. Whatever it is, the idea is that God is not only our strength and our song and our salvation and a warrior who will fight our battles. He is the almighty God. And again, nothing is too hard or too difficult for him. He is all powerful. Notice, your right hand, O Lord, verse 6, shattered, crushed the enemy. The most powerful enemy an army on earth at that time, the Egyptian army, was nothing before God. Intimidated everybody else on the planet, but was not intimidating to God at all. It wasn't hard for God to destroy the whole Egyptian army. Think for a moment about something that you can do very easily. It takes no effort at all for you to do. Think about that. Whatever that comes to mind. What is very easy for you? And then think about it in this context. What is the absolute hardest thing that you could ever imagine? And as easy as it is for you to do the easy thing, it's that to God, even the hardest, even all the hard things put together. It's not like God is ever like challenged, like, boy, no. No. That's how amazing God is. There's nothing that ever comes up in this universe that somehow God has to like grunt, like, Ugh. I gotta put forth a lot of effort here to deal with this. This is hard. No. There's never a time with God where he's gotta like exert himself. No. Because all power in the universe resides in him. And all he's gotta do is speak the word and it happens. He wouldn't have needed six days to bring the universe out. He just did it to set a calendar, if you will, a rhythm to life.
for us. God could have spoke the universe entirely into being in one second if he wanted to, one millisecond if he wanted to. That's how powerful God is. We need to stand in awe of our God and of his power. And so I don't know what you're dealing with right now, what enemies you may be facing, what challenges or obstacles you may be facing, but know this. There is a God in your life that nothing is too hard or difficult for. And he has all power. And he even wants to give you his power to go through it, whatever it is, if he chooses for you to do so. Verse 7, in the abundance or greatness of your majesty, you've overthrown those who rise up against you. Notice in verse 9, oh, the enemy makes all these boasts. I'll chase them, I'll overtake them, I'll divide the spoil, I'll draw my sword, my hand will destroy them, but you, God, verse 10, you were the difference maker, not only the way maker. The enemy can spout off all the enemy wants to and make a lot of boasts and a lot of claims, but it is God who defines the situation. It is God who defines our lives and the outcome of our lives. And God makes all the difference in the world no matter what odds are stacked against his people. But you, God, but you. You blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So that brought the author, to this statement. Who is like you? Who is like you? Who can we compare you to? No one. You are incomparable. You are unlike anything or anyone we could ever come in contact with. You are holy, holy other, majestic in holiness, distinct and different. And then again, this phrase I brought up earlier, fearful in praises. We should be standing in awe as we sing to and sing about our God, a God who works wonders, who still does miracles, who does extraordinary acts that only God can accomplish. And he's a God who can do miracles here tonight. He can do miracles in your life, in my life, every day. Amen. And he does every day on this planet. He's doing miraculous things that only he, God, can do. What a God. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. And then after all these things are piled up, if you will, he's my strength, my song, my salvation. He's our warrior. He is all powerful. He's our difference maker and our way maker. And who is like you, oh God? Ah, oh, and then comes this. He's a God who loves us who loves us like no other, who loves us unconditionally. And, and the author says, by your loyal love, God, your loving kindness, your favor and mercy that will never run out, that will never dry up, a God that loves us as much now as he ever has or ever will, a God that can never love us any more than he ever has or ever will, a God whose love is constant, who is there for us every second of every day. And it is out, notice then, of that loyal love that he is a God 
who won't just let his people sort of flounder and grope around trying to figure things out and go through life. No, he is a God that out of his love, he will lead his people whom you've redeemed. God doesn't just bring us out to not bring us in. God always has a purpose for his redemptions and for his deliverances and for his rescues and for his salvation. He doesn't just take us from this and then leave us. He takes us from this in order to bring us to greater blessing. And he's going to be the one, if we trust him, like the Israelites should have, to lead us to that place. And by the way, I love this. You, you know I've pointed these things out before. But that word lead means to guide, to rest, and refreshment. It was used to describe an oasis. God doesn't just lead. He always leads his people to oasises, to places where they can rest and be refreshed. And I had to smile. I tell Nicole, she does this to me all the time. She leads us in worship, and then she ends in prayer and she's talking about how God has laid it on her, you know, as far as God wants us to rest. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's how the Spirit brings things together that only, the, again, God can do. Amen. Only God can do that. But God wants you to understand that. He wants to lead you and I to a place of rest and refreshment always. Isn't that what Psalm 23 says? Lord's my shepherd. He's the one that's going to lead me to green pastures and to refreshing still and clear waters. Jesus said to the woman, that water you're drinking, you drink that, you'll get thirsty again. But the water that I can give you, you'll never be thirsty again. It'll be like a fountain that just bubbles up within you and refreshes you each and every day. I'm the bread of life. You feed on me and you'll never go hungry again a day in your life. That's our God. And it's out of his love that he leads us to himself and to these places where we can be at rest and be refreshed. You will guide them in or by your strength to your holy dwelling place. Notice something. God not only leads us to a place of rest and refreshment, but he's always going to lead us closer to himself. God never leads his people away from himself. He always is going to lead his people to come closer to him. So in a sense, God is saying, this is where I am, and I'm leading you to me. In fact, this is reemphasized in verse 17. Look at verse 17 of chapter 15. You will bring them in after bringing them out and plant them, establish them, root them, and settle them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place you made or you prepared for your residence, your dwelling place so that your people, God, can be with you. 
I couldn't help but think of what Jesus said to his disciples when he was getting ready to leave. And he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. God always wants to be with his people. Because there's no better place of rest and refreshment than to be in the presence of God. That's what God's doing here. And you and I can be praising God for the very same things that they praised him for thousands of years ago. And then notice this, verse 18. The Lord will reign or be king or rule forever and ever. There you have it. The best is yet to come. As John writes in, John, in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of our Lord, the kingdom of this world, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Oh, can't wait for that day. I hope you're praying for that day too. You know, Jesus taught us to pray for that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That should be the heart's desire of all God's people. That God king, God's kingdom and God's king comes to earth and sets up his kingdom. And then you and I get the privilege of ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years before we even get to the eternal state. Well, remember I told you that I believe that this is a song that we're going to sing throughout eternity. So you can leave Exodus 15. And in closing tonight, go over with me to the book of Revelation, to Revelation chapter 15. And we'll end there tonight. I'm just going to begin in verse 1 of Revelation 15. Then I saw another great and astounding sign in heaven, seven angels who have seven final plagues. They are the final because in them God's anger is completed. Then I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had conquered the beast and his image and the number of his name. They were standing by the sea of glass holding harps given to them by God. And then verse 3. What were they singing first? They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God. What's the song of Moses? Exodus 15. The song that we just studied tonight. And they sang the song of the Lamb. And what's part of that song? Great and astounding are your deeds, Lord God, the all-powerful. Just and true are your ways, king over the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you tonight for this song of praise that we've looked at. We thank you tonight, Lord, for the songs of praise that we sang to you tonight and sang about you tonight. Oh, God, what a privilege it is to worship you, to acknowledge you, to lift you up and to exalt you to not only praise you in the moment for your great acts of of redemption and deliverance and rescue and salvation, but God, to praise you for all time for who you are and who you always will be. So God, may tonight, a night where we are reminded that we have a singing faith, may we always be a singing people, May we, Lord, look forward with anticipation and expectation to being in your house together and singing praises to you and about you. And God, may we be enthusiastic and excited as your people to also sing praises to you privately and personally May our life be a lifestyle of worship. May our heart always be filled with songs. For you are not only our strength and our salvation, you are our song, God, every day. And you fill us, Lord, with so many reasons to sing to you and to sing about you. May our song that honors you, always be on our lips and in our hearts. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here tonight. We'll see you next week.